I uh, want to say thank you for everybody for showing up. I uh, just checked right, right when Joe was calling everybody to come back um, to take your seats. I went on Instagram and checked how many people liked today's advertisement to come to youth. It was 125. I was one of them. So 124 people other than me. Um, there was a thing down the bottom that says, come, we'll continue the Beatitudes with Mark Lyabiev. But there was a picture of Slavik Tikunje. So I apologize to everybody who was expecting to hear Slavik speak. Slavik, I apologize wherever you were at. I know you were expecting to speak, but sorry, brother. Anyways, thanks for showing up anyways. Um, I hope you're not here to uh, hear an individual speak, Slavik or me or anybody else, but you're here to study the Bible and, and, and uh, go into the Word. I'll be honest with you, this is one of the hardest sermons I've had to prepare because it is, seems very simple on its face, but when you get into it, things just kind of started to open up to me in a way that I didn't hear before, I wasn't expecting, and I was like, if I say things this way, people will probably disagree with me and they won't like what I say. So, that said, you guys have read the verses, and I'm sure you've read them several times, and I've heard the discussion questions. If you read the text without being very careful about what you're reading, you can come to the conclusion, just kind of on its face, very simple, that Jesus is calling you to be a doormat, um, have everybody walk over you, love everybody. We could say amen and end the sermon right there. Did anybody get that feeling, like that's kind of what the Bible's talking about? Maybe that's the feeling you got, because that's kind of the feeling I got. I'm like, okay, well, this is going to be a really easy sermon. Just like, you know, let anybody do whatever they want to you. Just don't be violent. Be nice. Whatever people tell you, just do it. Amen. But the Bible is not, that's not what the Bible's talking about. And so that, that really challenged me. It really challenged me. So in my introduction, before I even get to the um, verse, we have to understand context. We have to understand where the Bible is coming from. And so I want to talk about the people who were listening to Jesus. I want to talk about who the speaker was and who was, who was proclaiming the words and the, the context that that was prepared in. Um, if you disagree with anything I say, you are more than welcome to disagree. Uh, if you want to talk about what it says in context and meaning afterwards, feel free to talk to me. I'd, I'd love to talk to you and then discuss. So we'll start with the listeners. The people who were listening to Jesus were Jewish. He wasn't talking to the Gentiles. He wasn't talking to the heathens. He was talking to those peoples who have been taught by the Pharisees. Um, these people were a couple things. They were one. They were religious. That means they knew the law of Moses. They um, knew what was going on. They weren't, you know, in the unknown. Two, these people, they honored God with their speech. So these weren't people who, like, you know, had a religion, but they did things, whatever. They knew who God was, and they honored him with how they spoke. They worshipped God through their actions. These were religious people. They honored God with their speech. They worshipped him with his actions. Yet at the exact same time all of that was going on, their hearts were far from him. Um, Isaiah 29, 13. And uh, I'm going to be reading from the NLT. I know there's different versions. Uh, that's just the version I'm reading right now. 
And it says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. So everything you can see on the outside looks great. They're worshiping. They're saying nice things. They're religious. They look great, but their hearts are far from God. What does that look like today? Like, yeah, that was them. That was the Pharisees, a bunch of hypocrites, right? What about us? How does a person here, one of you, um, who's singing that worship, who's praying, who's saying all the right things, who's religious, um, look like if your heart's far from God? And I have some examples of following the law or following certain standards, expectations that we have of each other, the church has, uh, the law has of us, um, versus following that law versus following the spirit of the law and, and what things you're supposed to do. I'm going to go through five examples. Example number one. So we have a dress code at church. We have a dress code at church. Our dress code is as you know, the guys are supposed to dress a certain way, girls are supposed to certain, uh, dress a certain way, and it's, um, if you, you know, different places have different dress codes. And so that's the law, you would say, or an expectation or a standard that we have. And so oftentimes we'll say, okay, we have, there's a standard. We'll follow that standard. We'll follow the letter of the law. But we'll break the spirit. And how do we do that? Well, if we got to, you know, wear a skirt, we'll wear a skirt, but we'll make sure it's real short. Or for the guys, you know, we'll wear the pants, but they'll be so tight, you'll see everything there is and isn't there, you know? Uh, the, the, you check the law, sure. You, you're doing what is said, but you're missing the spirit of the purpose of that law or that expectation. Here's another expectation or a law or, or a commandment. Um, the Bible calls us to, to stay away from adultery. And I think you guys have had a, um, have had a sermon on this, right? A couple of weeks back. Uh, so we'll say, okay, the, the, the law, the standard is, God's standard is, stay away from adultery. Okay, we check that, bar, we, we check that box. But, okay, we're staying away from adultery, but we'll look at some porn. Okay, well, we won't do that, but we'll watch, we'll watch movies that have sex scenes in them and... and Technically, we're not into adultery. Technically, like speaking, we check the box. We're, we're okay. But you're breaking the spirit of the law. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. People who read... The, here's another one. You're expected to read your Bible, right? That's how you grow spiritually. And so how, how, how do you do that in a way where you do the check mark, but your heart is not with God? You'll open up your Bible, you'll read a verse, or somebody will send you a, a, a verse, and you'll read a Bible verse, you say, okay, I read my Bible. But your heart is not with God. Your heart is not there to study God's Word. You don't love God. Technically, you follow the rule, but your heart's not there. Here's one driving rule. Uh, somebody, we were congratulating somebody at the coffee shop today for getting their driver's license. Uh, anybody drive and speed just a little bit. Just like you drive and speed just enough to go fast and break the law, but not fast enough to get a ticket. Like there's that, that sweet zone, that golden rule or whatever. I don't know whether it's five miles an hour over or seven or like three miles an hour. Different people have a different kind of a, depending on if there's a police officer drive behind you or not, just kind of you, you fudge it a little bit. 
Technically, you can say, okay, I am driving at a speed where I won't get a ticket. I check the box. But your heart is not there. You're, you're violating the spirit of the law. Keep you safe. Here's another one. Being at church. Physically, you're all here. Emotionally, though, in your thoughts, you may or may not be here. You can come home and say, oh, Dad, Mom, I was at church. Check. I fulfilled the law. But practically... I was walking around and listening to questions. Some of you were listening. Some of you were on Snapchat. Some of you were taking, you know, uh, little hearts around your face, looking all cute. Someone's on Instagram. Physically, you may be here. You check the box. You're doing all the right things. You're worshiping God correctly. You're, you're praising him correctly. You're saying all the right things. You're religious. But the spirit, your, your heart's not there. And so if you've done any of those things, if you've done anything sim ser uh, similar you're just like these people that Jesus is talking to, his listeners. They did things correctly, but their heart was not there. So that's the listeners. That's the people who were listening to Jesus. The speakers. God. God is the one who's speaking. He's the one who gave the law. God has no contradictions within himself. We kind of have to have that as a baseline. We have to understand that. Um, everything that Jesus says in the um, scripture that we're going to be reading is not contradictory. It can't be contradictory. There can be no contradictions or mis, kind of misdirections within, within God. You can't read this and say, uh, there is an old way of doing things, an old, old morality. Here's how things were before. Jesus came in, threw everything away. Now we have a new set of laws. We have a new set of, a new way of living. Um, as far as morality goes, throw everything we hear, you know, just out the, out the door. You, you can't do that. Um, that's why we read Matthew 5.17. If you turn in your Bibles there, it says, uh, Don't misunderstand why I have come. This is Jesus speaking. I do not come to abolish the law of Moses, nor the writings of the prophets. No, I come to accomplish their purpose. So we understand that these are religious people that Jesus is talking to, who do everything right, yet their hearts are not where they're supposed to be. God has no contradictions within himself, and he is there, not there to break any laws or rules. And the third thing we have to understand is the context in which he's talking about. And he's talking in the context of personal relationships. Now you say, why is this important? Because if you take these principles and you apply them outside of personal relationships, like one-on-one -on -one relationships, you, you, come with, you come up with theories, ideas that are just way out there and they're not biblical um, Per, per se, you'll get different interpretation. Matthew 5.20, also preceding the verses we're going to be talking about, says, But I warn you, unless your righteousness. So it's talking about you. Your, you personally, how you act correctly towards somebody else is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious laws and the Pharisees. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's on an interpersonal relationship. And we have to keep that in mind when we kind of try to figure out what the Bible is talking about. Um, some people take this to mean, um, here's, a, here's an example for you. You all heard of Martin Luther King, right? Um, he was a proponent of nonviolent non um, resistance. So they'd get into buses, they'd do marches, they'd try to resist the government using nonviolent means for you know, black people to have the same rights, to, to be able to vote, to be able to drive on buses wherever they wanted. You guys have heard of this guy, right? So he was inspired 
by a guy in India called Gandhi. You've heard of him too, I'm assuming. Now, Gandhi was inspired by a man from Russia. His name was Lev Tolstoy. He's the guy who wrote War and Peace. And so when he was reading his Bible, he was reading this exact spot, and he says, you know, don't resist the evil person. Put up the other cheek. And he didn't take this on an interpersonal, you know, on an interpersonal relationship level. He took this to a whole new level, everybody, everywhere. So he, his thinking was, okay, we got to get rid of the army. We got to get rid of the police force because that's, there's violence there. There's resistance there. We should just all live in, you know, unity and peace and love. So you can't, you can't take that and apply it there because it won't, um, it won't, doesn't work. Um, some people apply it to their jobs, like you can't be a police officer, you can't be in the army, um, you can't have any guns for self-defense, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you can't take these, these verses and apply them to that. Um, you have to keep them within your personal relationship. So the context is personal relationships. God does not have any contradictions. And the people that God, Jesus, was talking to were religious on the outside, but rotten on the inside. Make sense so far? Okay, let's get to the verses. Matthew 5.38. Um, the verses we're going to start with. And it says, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How do you understand that? Here's the way I understood it when I read it. And here's the way that it was understood in the times of Jesus by the Pharisees, the scribes, and the people who lived around him. So any wrong that was committed against you, or your wife, your child, your donkey, your ox, your cat, your dog, I don't know, whoever they had up there, um, you were supposed to get that person back. If they harmed you, you were to harm them. Sound pretty, pretty, pretty logical? Yes, no, maybe... Okay, it sounds, okay somebody, somebody's awake. Does that sound logical? So the way they interpreted it was that you, for any wrong that anybody does against you, it was encouraged to take revenge on that person. Now, who was supposed to take revenge on that person? Based on what the scribes thought and the Pharisees thought. You were the person who was wrong, Correct. If I am wronged by Eric because he hits my car, I should go and hit his car back. shouldn't ask anybody. I should just go hit his car. If he broke my headlight, I should break his headlight. Shows him who's boss, right? That's the way it was interpreted. And the purpose of this law was to preserve justice, to have justice in the land, make sure things were fair, make sure that people were not getting away with anything. But, I hate to break it to you, that was not the intent and the purpose of that law. It wasn't so you could be mad at somebody, so you could go out and show them and say, hey, this is ju justice is served. It wasn't. The original meaning of the law, let, let's, let's go through that. So again, the same condition, some kind of wrong was committed against you. Somebody did something bad to you. God did not encourage vengeance. He did not encourage Violence, it did not encourage you to take things into your own hand and get back at the person. That law was meant to limit, to cap 
to prevent the person who wants to take vengeance from taking more vengeance or, or from harming the other person more than what they did. That was the first thing. God knows that people who want vengeance, they will go to far lengths to hurt somebody because of their hurt. And God wanted to protect people from being punished more than they deserved. So this law was not meant to say, God throws out to say, you know, eye for eye. Okay, he did something to you. Let's just, you know, beat it into him. No, God wanted to protect people. And so he, he protected people from, from, from the, the, the party that was wronged and their vengeance and their upsetness. Vengeance can be physical, like, you know, going out and beating somebody up because you're mad at them. Um, sometimes vengeance is emotional. Like somebody hurts you and you start talking behind their back. You start gossiping about them. You start saying things um, about them to, to get back at them. Um, sometimes it's in our actions. We do things to mess people up to make their life difficult because of all that hatred that we have in our heart. And the other thing about this law, the original, is that this revenge or this vengeance was not to be carried out by you. You were not the one who decided um, to knock the other person's tooth out because they knocked yours out. You were, if you got hurt, supposed to come to the judges and say, here's what happened to me. The judges would then take and decide what sort of punishment would be appropriate for the offender. And what, what their guide was, was tooth for tooth, eye for eye, and so on and so forth. I had a bonus question in there. You know, what if you didn't have any teeth and you knocked the tooth out? Then what? I think, I think that that's when it came to the judges. What would be appropriate punishment for somebody who, who wronged you? Does that make any sense? Yes, no, maybe. Does anybody not understand? Okay, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you guys are understanding. So the, the purpose, I'm going to just recap it, was not, to get, no, was not to let you get back at people, but to protect people who did wrong um, from being overly punished. And so we get to verse 39 here. It says the following. But I say, when Jesus says, but I say, is he contradicting what was said before? And we studied that Jesus does not contradict himself. God does not contradict himself. The Bible is not in conflict. The Bible is not against justice. God is not against justice because he is a God of justice. But he, what Jesus is saying is he's not against justice, but he is against vengeance. He is about having an attitude of your heart where you want to get back at somebody, where there's hatred in your heart towards somebody else. And God is the ultimate judge, and there will be justice. That perp the purpose of that law was to show what is right, what is wrong. And, but that law was being abused by the Pharisees and by all the people. Instead of understanding and saying, here God has a law for us and he's trying to teach us something, he's trying to teach us that we should not be vengeful, that we should not hold grudges against people, that we should, you know, uh, love our neighbors and, and, and work on that. They took this law and they abused it and they said, okay, there's this law, we're going to use it to, to beat people in and to get back at anybody who did anything wrong with us. People use that law to justify their sinful desires and their actions. 
And so we have all that in our mind, right? We're going to take that into consideration that Jesus is saying that you should not be vengeful when somebody does something wrong to you. And he's going to show several examples on how that plays out. So the first example, he says, verse 39, it says, Do not resist an evil person. Does this mean we are to let evil and to let people who are evil do anything they want um, without challenging them? No, the Bible talks about resisting evil. It does not, people, does not encourage people to just be kind of rags laying on the floor and you do whatever you want to do to me. Um, the Bible says, James 4, 7, it says, resist the devil. Um, it talks about Jesus resisting the way he was being treated to some degree. Um, it says that when one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face, Jesus said, is that, and, and, he, and he asked Jesus, is this the way to answer the high priest? He demanded. Jesus replied, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? So Jesus resisted. And the point here is that we are not to become judges and to have private revenge. We need to avoid having revenge and acting because of the revenge that we have in our hearts. But it doesn't mean that you can't defend yourself. It just means that you are to avoid having revenge in your heart, having that grudge in your heart, and, and, and with that grudge going and, and uh, basically having, having the confrontation with that in mind. So verse 39, continuing verse 39, it says, But I say, um, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Can I have some? I need, I, need a vol, I need two volunteers. I just need two volunteers. There will be no slapping involved, I promise. I just wanted to, to show, and then there's a, there's a, there's a really important uh, thing here. So where's your left side? Right there. Where's your left side? Can, can you, can you, uh, I need your right side. This is your right side. Can you ha hold up your right hand? Just stand like that and stand in front of him. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. You can, so I just want you guys to know this. Uh, it says, it says this. Um, if someone slaps you on your right cheek, this is your right cheek. Most people are right-handed. How does a right-handed person slap somebody on their right cheek? Okay, okay, yep, yep, just do it real slow. What do you guys notice? He's doing it how? Forward-handed or backhanded? All right, you can take a seat. Thank you, thank you. I just wanted to show that so you understand what I'm talking about. So back in the day, slapping someone, well, kind of like today, was, was not a fight. Slapping somebody was an insult. You were insulted if you were slapped. If you were slapped with the back of the hand... That was a double insult. You were twice as insulted. If you were slapped, you were considered a nothing. If you got slapped backhanded, you were a nothing just lower than dirt. You were considered just prost of Your honor was at stake. For a right-handed person to slap you on your right cheek, like Jesus says, they would have to slap you with the back of their hand. This is not talking about getting beat up again. This is about being insulted. This is not a fight. For example, nowadays, guy suggests something inappropriate to a girl. She slaps him, right? That's not meant to be a fight. That's a uh, strong statement of disapproval. I hope you guys don't practice them in the, in the mirror. 
just in case. Um, if somebody slapped you with the back of their hand, it was considered a double insult, and you could go to the judges, um, somebody slapped you, and, want, and ask for compensation from that person. Obviously, if you didn't deserve it. If they backslapped you, you could ask for double the compensation because it was double the insult. And so if somebody slaps you and they insult you, they have hurt your honor, you're hurt. And so when you're hurt, what is your natural response? It's to get vengeance, right? It's to get back at them. But Jesus says, take the insult and forgive them. Put up the other cheek. Be open to the person who insulted you. Don't be close to them. Don't try to get back at them. Don't have vengeance in your heart. Be open to them. Don't, ha don't have a grudge. Don't desire vengeance for that person. Um, don't try to get even with that person. God is the ultimate judge, and he will decide whether what you've done is honorable or not and whether you deserved it or not. Again, that's talking about vengeance. The next one. Um, verse 40, if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken away from you, give your coat as well. So imagine this situation. You're a debtor. You owe somebody money. And you're unable to pay it back. I hope none of you have been in that situation. I have been in the situation where I've lent out money to people. And when they asked for the money, they were very polite and they were very nice and they were almost crying. We need the money. And when it was time to give back the money, they were nowhere to be found. So uh, less, life lesson, don't lend out money unless you like um, ruining relationships with that person. So this person is not able to pay you back. That breaks the relationship with the other person. The other person's upset with you. They're angry with you. And they're upset to the point where they take you to court. They want some kind of compensation back from you. You're angry at them. Why don't they understand my situation? I don't have any money. I, you know, I spend it somewhere else or I, I don't have any work. The people didn't pay me. I can't pay you back. You become angry with them. Although you owe them money, you become resentful and upset with that person. You become vengeful. You're like, Man, what does this person want from me? I can't pay it back. You're so poor, you have nothing you can give. So they take you to court, and the judge says, you owe this person whatever you have. You're poor. You don't have anything. The only thing you have is the shirt on your back. And so they take the shirt off your back and give it to the other person as payment. That's the shirt. On top of your shirt, you would have a coat or a cloak. They could not take the coat or the cloak off of you. If you read Levitical law... It's interesting. It says the following. Actually, Deuteronomy 24, 13, it says, Return the cloak to its owner, this is if you borrowed it, by sunset so that he can stay warm throughout the night and bless you, and the Lord your God will count you as righteous. Per law, you could take somebody's shirt, but you couldn't take their outer cloak because they were to use it to sleep in to stay warm. Going back to the... Uh, going back to the place where it says, you know, give them your outer coat, Jesus is saying, if the inner garment was not enough to pay the debt, Jesus is saying, take out your outer garment and give it to the person as well. Pay the person you owe without haggling, without saying, okay, well, 
since I have to pay you, I'll pay you the minimum amount. Since I owe you, I'll give you the minimum amount. But you have that grudge in, in, in your life, you have that grudge in your heart, and you say, the minimum amount I'll give, but no more. When you owe somebody, give them what you owe them. Don't try to give them the least amount possible just because you have spite or, or vengeance or you dislike the person. Be honorable in your financial dealings. Next verse, verse 41. Um, it says, If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. So what is this talking about? Back in the day, the Roman Empire instituted a thing that soldiers needed help. And so a soldier had gear, you know, they had their sword, they had their probably backpack with a whole bunch of stuff in them. It was heavy. And so they needed help, and they needed somebody to carry it. Now, if a soldier was walking by, and he found anybody in the empire that was walking, just anybody, um, they could say, hey, here's my stuff, I need you to carry my stuff for a mile. This was meant to help the soldiers. Now, obviously, the people who were going to be carrying their stuff, it was probably very inconvenient to them to grab somebody else's stuff and to carry it. An example of this was Simon of Cyrene, who carried Jesus' cross. He was just walking by, they said, hey, bro, you gotta, you got to carry this cross for up to a mile. And whether he was going to uh, McDonald's or Wendy's or I don't know what they had back then, Olive Gardens maybe. They probably had an olive garden. That sounds reasonable. It um, doesn't matter what he was doing, what he was thinking of doing. He had to obey and he had to carry it. This applied to everybody in the Roman Empire, but the Jews were especially upset with this because it, it, it basically showed them that they were not a nation, that they were a conquered people. They were not a free people. And they had a feeling of resentment and vengeance towards the Romans. They didn't like them. They hated them. And so if somebody said you have to carry my gear, you would do it, but you did it with a spirit of vengeance and, and rebellion and just a grudge. You didn't want to do it. The actions were right. The hard attitude was wrong. Here's an example for, for you. Oppression of the government. For some of you. Um, wearing a mask where you go some, somewhere. You do it because if you don't, they'll kick you off the plane. But man, in your heart, you are upset. You're like, these Pressers, let's take it off as much as I can or put it below my nose. I'll show them. Another example is being nice to someone you don't like, being kind of fake. You're sort of doing the right thing because you have to, but you have the wrong attitude. So the lesson here is if you need to help somebody, you need to do it with an attitude of helpfulness and an attitude of love, not with a spirit of vengeance even if you don't like these people. Keep, go, keep going. Verse 42. This was a hard one, and I heard a lot of discussion on this. Um, give to those who ask, and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Does this mean we should give to everybody who asks? No. Does this mean we should let anybody borrow anything just because they're asking? No. You have to read that within context. The context that Jesus is talking about is vengeance. How does practical vengeance look like when we're supposed to give something? Uh, helping those who are asking or who want to borrow something. Here's an example. Um, I say I need to borrow a shovel from somebody. 
because there was a lot of snow and I needed a snow shovel to shovel my driveway. Well, I come up to my neighbor and I say, hey, bro, can I borrow your shovel? And my neighbor says, no, my, you, know, you're gonna just, you can't borrow my shovel. But the reason he says, no, I'm not going to let you borrow my shovel is because he's jealous of me or because he has a grudge against me because, you know, last year maybe I was riding my bike and I rode it on his lawn and he doesn't like me. So what Jesus is trying to say is when somebody asks you for something, for some kind of help, to borrow something, you should not say no because you have a grudge against them. Don't say no to somebody because you don't like them. Here's a question for you. If you have a grudge against somebody, say in ministry, you're upset with somebody, right? And they say, hey, can you come and participate? But you don't like the person, and you say no just because you have a grudge against them. This applies to you. If somebody wants your help, your brothers, your sisters, your mom, your dad, but you're upset with them, they did something wrong for you, and you're saying, no, I'm not going to help you. No, I'm, I'm busy. No, I'm, you know, I can't help. Sorry. Jesus is talking about you. That's the context. Um, we're going to keep going. Verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Did you know that the Bible talks about loving your enemy in Leviticus? But nowhere in the Bible will you find anything about hating your enemy. Is that up there? You have heard that it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Did you know the Bible never anywhere talks about hating your enemy? Say, well, how come Jesus said, you know, you have heard, love your neighbor, hate your enemy? Good question. And here's the, here's the answer. Um, Jesus says, you have heard. Other places you'll find Jesus saying, it is written. When he says it is written, he's quoting from Scripture. When he says, um, but so-and-so said, Moses said, he's quoting from Scripture. But here where it says, you have heard, part of that is from Scripture, that you shall love your neighbor. Part of that is from the teaching of the Pharisees. Their understanding, the way they understood uh, this verse where it says, love your neighbor, um, was for them a neighbor was anybody who looked like you, spoke like you, talked like you, think, was thinking like you. So it had to be somebody who was a Jew. If you were non-Jew or part Jew, you were not considered a neighbor. Um, you had to be the same religion. You had to be not just be a Jew, but to be a practicing Jew. You had to adhere to the rituals, to, the, to the, everything that they did, to the purification rituals, everything. If you did not look like them, act like them, pray the same way they did, you were not their neighbor. Even if you lived next door. You were, could be considered an enemy and they could hate you. But the Bible, the original meaning of, the, of, the, of this rule is that you are to be full of love to all those people who were around you. The Bible even says that you were to do good to your enemy. In Exodus, that if your enemy's donkey or ox falls or gets lost, take that animal and bring it back, bring it back to its owner. The Bible says don't rejoice when your enemies falls. Don't be happy when they stumble. Um, in the story of the Good Samaritan, 
Jesus kind of explains that your neighbor is anybody who needs your help. And so Jesus' clarification, he says, but I say. So this time when Jesus says, but I say, is he contradicting? Yes, he's not contradicting the law, but he is contradicting to what the Pharisees said. And so uh, verse 44 through verse 47. What Jesus is doing is he's comparing and contrasting loving your enemies versus loving your friends. And it says the following. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives the sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for you? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anybody else? Loving your friends comes naturally. You guys like people who like you back, right? You love people who love you. Why wouldn't you? That's your natural reaction. If somebody does something nice for him, you want to do something nice for him. Why? Because if you treat them nice, they'll continue loving you, and we all want to be loved. And so that's natural. There's nothing supernatural about that. That's kind of a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You love me, I'll love, I'll love you back. Everybody's happy. Great. That love is based on how people treat you, their behavior towards you. It's a natural response. But this is not what Christ is talking about. Christ, and I had a, one of the questions I had was, how do you know, do you guys remember the question? How do you know if you have the love of God? I had that somewhere somewhere. How do you know if you have the love of God? You don't have the love of God if you just love people who love you. How you know you have the love of God is, is, is you have so much love within your heart that you love people who love you and you love people who don't love you. You love your friends and you love your enemies. So if you look at your life and you're saying, okay, I love people who love me and I'm nice to people who, nice, who are nice to me, you're just natural. That's, that's natural. But if you really want to know if you have the love of God, how do you treat and how do you feel about those people who are mean to you, for those people who, who talk about you behind your back, how do you treat them? If you can love those people, you truly have the love of God within you and that love is growing. And God is an example because he is love. It says that he gives sunlight to those people who are good and to those people who are evil. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. And so if you're like that, you send your love, you give your love to people who are good and, and, and evil, to those who do you good and who do you harm, you're like God. You have the love of God within you. So the test of your love, if you have the love of God, is if you can love those people who don't like you, your enemies. So how do you love your enemies? Um, verse 44, Jesus gives the answer. You pray for them. Has anybody here tried to pray for somebody who you don't like? And I'm not talking about like, God, send thunder and lightning and just be this person, just be zapped. I'm not talking about that type of prayer. Have you ever prayed for somebody who's like gossiped behind your back and you've heard about it and you're like, Lord, I pray that you bless this individual. Crickets? Anybody? You've prayed for Slava Boga. We have, we have a Christian in here. Thank you. Praying for their salvation, saying, Lord, you see this individual. They're gossiping behind my back. 
I just, this girl's gossiping about me. Lord, I, I ask that you bless her with a great husband and, and that you bless her with great friends and, and so she can have a great job and do well in school. If you can do that, you know you have the love of God within you. And that is what God is asking us for, for us to do. The best thing you can do for somebody is pray for their salvation. I have an example for you. And a question, when's the last time you really got cussed out? Have you ever been cussed out? Only Eric. Have, it, have the rest of you ever been cussed out? Okay, so I'll give you an example, and I'll, I'll, we'll be finishing up here. So I have a neighbor who moved in, lives kind of across the street-ish. Um, he's transgender. Guy, dresses weird, to say the least. Um, and I was blowing my leaves, right? This is, this is in the fall. I'm blowing my leaves, minding my own business. Um, and he comes out, and something somebody was said to somebody. And he's also an alcoholic, and I think he was drunk. And he just comes out and says, are you the person that said the A, B, and C? He's like, yeah. And he just goes full out. He just starts cussing me out. This is with all the words that you could, like, I, I think he's like a cussing dictionary, because I think he's read it. Like, it's just, he's, he's out there. And he's just yelling at me and yelling and in my face. And, it's like, wow. And I wasn't upset or anything. I was just looking at him and I just kind of, I felt sorry for him. And it was kind of funny because it's just like, like, bro, like, like really? So he cusses me out. He, uh, you know, anyway. Um, so he comes, comes to apologize a month or two later. Uh, he's a guy. Put on, puts on some kind of dress. It's raining, at least the second time. His dress is all wet. He put like on makeup on, put a wig on, and you could tell it's a wig. It just it looks it looks so bad. Like it's just it's really bad. And he comes to apologize. I wasn't thinking. I was drunk. Blah blah blah. And so I'm listening to him. I have the door kind of open, making sure my kids don't go out there, don't see who you know. Uh, this, uh, I don't want them looking at scarecrows, you know. I don't want to be scaring them early in life. And so I'm listening to him, and I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, i got to forgive this guy, and i got to be nice to him, and Jesus tells us to love our neighbors, and he's my neighbor. And so what I tell him is, you know, I'm talking to him about this and that. I said, I forgive you. Uh, alcoholism sucks. You need to go out and be a better person. Like, I hope you get help. And so I close the door, walk inside, and my wife said, why did you tell him that? I said, why? Because he needs help. And she says, why did you tell him to go be a better person? It's not what he needs. I was like, what do you mean it's not what he needs? He needs Jesus. He doesn't need to be a better person. And so I was like, oh, man, I just failed. Like, I had an opportunity to him. He came to me, and I was supposed to tell him about Jesus, but I told him to be a better person. So we're, like, praying, like, God, give me another opportunity. And so he comes again, like, two weeks later, again, dressed up. Super fancy. Again, it's raining and his makeup is just kind of going all over the place. And so he knocks on the door and apologizes again and brings us like presents, like rabbits and bunnies and kids, you know, toys for the kids. And I'm talking to him again and I said, uh, you know Jesus. Do you know you're a sinner and, uh, you, you know, you need a savior? And he starts laughing at first because he says, ha, 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 I usually walk away if people talk to me about Jesus. But he's at my door. He, he knocked on my door. I didn't knock on his door. 
And he's apologizing, so he can't just walk away and start telling him about Jesus. God is calling us to have love in our hearts. And what, what that means is not, um, not turning away people, not just loving people who we like, but really seeing that those people who are our enemies, they need God's love. They're going to hell. And what, whatever they do to us, it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but in the, in the, in the perspective of eternity, it doesn't matter. What matters is their soul. And we have to go out there and we have to tell them about Jesus. That's, that's really the best thing we can do for them. We can pray for our enemies. Pray and talk to them about the salvation of God. In Matthew 5, 48, and I'll be finishing up, it says, But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Perfection here is not checking all the boxes of the law. The Pharisees were good at that. They had a law, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Check. You got to worship God to say the right things. Check. You got to sing the right songs. Check. But their hearts were so far away from God. And so they were not perfect. I mean, they looked perfect, but who they are inside was dead to God. They were hypocrites. They were rotting inside. And so perfection is not checking all the boxes. It's having a heart that seeks after God. It's having a heart that is like the heart of God. God has a loving heart. If you work on having a loving heart, you're reaching perfection. God is not a God of, of, of being, having grudges against people. He's a God of protection and justice and love and forgiveness. You are to be that person. You need to have forgiveness and love in your heart. And if you do that, you will be perfect like God is perfect. It's changing your inside. And you cannot be perfect if you, who you are inside has not been changed, if you have not been born again. We are all born sinners. That means we're all at war with God. We are haters of God. That's how we're born. But God has provided a way, and that way is Jesus Christ, so we can make peace with him. And when you make peace with him, that lets you have that love that God's have, that mercy, the forgiveness that he has. And once you have the ability to do that, we need to work on that. This is something, you know, it's, 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 a, it's not just something that you do and bam, you're done. It's something that is a process. It's, it's your life. And so my call for us today, um, we're going to pray, is one that we not have a heart of vengeance. That if somebody's harmed us, somebody's talked behind our back, somebody wants us to, you know, walk a second mile with them, we're insulted by them somehow, um, or they ask for help, that we have a heart that, that is like the heart of God. That we don't let these grudges in our life cloud our thinking and make us do things that we shouldn't be doing. And two, that we have a heart that is full of love, like, like God's love, to the point where we love the people who like us and who love us, and that we love the people who need salvation and who are our enemies. Let us stand and pray, and may God bless us in this.